From somewhere deep in the cloud and the corners of the earth, this is the Killing It Podcast with a focus on helping you make sense and dollars of all things IT with your hosts, Dave Sobel, Ryan Morris, and Carl Polichuk. Welcome to episode 131 of the Killing It podcast. Did you notice I left the chastisement of you on the end of the last show? Well, yeah, you, you know, because it's funny, right? I mean, I think one of our charms is slightly being funny. <laughs> <laughs> and slightly less than polished. Well, yeah. Well, as, as a friend of mine always says, never gets funny. With improvement. <laughs> With improvement. Cool. So the question of the day. Dave, Dave uh, was pondering this before we uh, started recording. This was too much fun for, to not let the, the listeners hear. So with cameras now being digital composites and combining multiple cameras and applying AI, particularly on your phone, are they still photos? Do they actually represent reality? Well, and what will happen? Because now you've got three cameras and then you'll have 12 and then you have 52 and pretty soon it'll look like, the back of your phone will look like a mosquito's eye or something. Well, is what they see any different than the reality of the photo that you took in 1995? You know, it's just yes. a different way of looking at the world. Well, again, it's a different way of looking and it absolutely is not an accurate representation because as Carl pointed out to us earlier, no matter how many 10,000 photos of a sunset I take, I've yet to get one that actually looks like what I'm looking at. And so I've learned to be really swift with the saturation tool on the photo editing. Take the picture, get that sad representation on your camera, dial up the color to 100, and actually get some red in those clouds. And, and then on, when camera. it's perfect, the sun has moved down by three degrees, and it's all different. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think we're, I think we're entering this this phase where it where it isn't a fo like a photo isn't a photo a photo is a you have to recognize that it is a rep what it is is a representation attempting to capture a moment like a, a representation of a moment. But then, what constitutes fake? If you've got three cameras in the back creating a whatever a three D image, is that fake or is that just that image? Versus me, you know, lopping off somebody's head and putting on uh, somebody else's head. It doesn't matter unless you need it in court or you need to justify something. <laughs> yeah, it's true. But you, you remember when we were freshmen in college and you took a philosophy course and we all wound up outside asking that question. How do I know that the color I see as blue is the same as the color exactly. you see as blue? Yeah, I had, to drop that, I had to drop that class, Ryan, because I, could, <laughs> <laughs> I had to drop that class because I was not going to pass that sucker. Well, that, so so I, I grew up poor. We only had the eight box of crayons. So blue can be like 247 different colors. And it, to me, it's all just blue, right? I got blue. I got green. I got yellow. I don't have chartreuse and Whatever. Before we spend too much time on that, did you know that the average MSP spends 10 hours manually inputting accounting data each week? That time is 120 prospect calls, 400 of this conversation, or building an entire Lego Death Star. Gazinta Mobius can make your life easier through accounting automation. Automatic sync of invoices, expenses, and inventory from ConnectWise Manage into QuickBooks Online in just 
a single click of a button. With onboarding, direct support, and regular feature releases, Gazinta is a family-owned company dedicated to making software suck a little less each day. Visit them at gozinta.com. That's G-O-Z-Y-N-T-A dot com. Excellent. Thank you very much. And let's jump into our first topic here, which is focused on AI, a recurring theme around here because we're fascinated with it. But an analysis from an Axios article that we will link to in the show notes uh, asking the question, what happens if AI actually doesn't work. In other words, for all of the optimism that you and I and others in the industry have had about all the cool things we will eventually do, the analysis so far indicates that AI in real commercial applications hasn't yet amounted to very much. And yet we're putting a whole lot of hope into it. So the fear is, will we rush it to market before all the kinks are worked out and embed some not quite ready for primetime AI into production systems? Or will we have some patience to admit, hey, this is a whole new field of technology. It doesn't work yet. And we're okay to keep developing. What do you guys think about this? Well, Ryan, you're almost glossing over something that's more important about this. That That is a more positive statement than what the report even says. The report <laughs> is even going so far as to say that the negative effects of AI can no longer be ignored. That there is enough actual negative impact of the use of the technology that it is worthy of its own study and consideration of the way that it's applied. Uh, by the way, I would be remiss if I didn't go sell all that opportunity, like go figure that problem out. But uh, but what what's fascinating to me this is is in this realm of we need to spend more time on the negatives. Here's a here's analysis by researchers that are saying here's a technology that has legitimate downsides in society in the places that it is being deployed that must be explored more further. And on this show, we have mentioned many, many times over the last few years, AI is the one area where instantly we need to start talking about ethics. How many stories have we done about the ethics of driverless cars? I think none, right? Or drones or burritos being delivered by drones, right? Ethics is, is obviously something that needs to be top of mind in many, many things. But with AI, it's like it's the first thing to go wrong. Um, I, I think the good news is that we're moving away from the, the fear-mongering vision that AI means that the computers in the world will some, suddenly become sentient and uh, start controlling our lives and whatever. That's not actually what how AI is becoming reality. Um, but the ethical use of tools for policing, uh, security, facial recognition, and, and even the little stuff of... Uh, you know, translating documents from one language to another. Right? There's so many areas where, um, you know, ethics is moving its way up to being a first consideration in applying this technology. Uh, see, I agree with that. And Carl, you've been one of the early and consistent voices on that question of, are you, it's not a question of can it do this thing, but are you using it for a good and ethical reason? The tool is inert. The question is, how are you using it? I think that that is a very important thing. What I take away from this report, right? The other day I was reading, uh, somebody was comparing 
present day AI to present day nanotechnology. And you guys remember like uh, 15, 20 years ago when nanotech was the, the stuff and everybody was talking about it, it's going to change the world. And it is very advanced technology. Fast forward, and we just haven't found any things for it to do in a mass market sense yet. It's there. It's cool. It's, it's just not very useful. AI is kind of there. This is exactly the right time to pause and go, okay, stop with the sci-fi fantasy of what good it could do. And let's go methodically after. Just make sure you don't use it for bad things first. And then we can move forward with better applications. Well, one of the great weaknesses, and it's not just in our technology universe, but in general, you know, one of the weaknesses of human development is unintended consequences, right? We've all seen it. We've, we've talked about it a thousand times. And AI is just one of those things where the unintended consequences are so potentially powerful that we can't, we, we can't just let them all happen. We, we have to like narrow the scope of what kinds of unintended things could happen. And that's a little hard to think about. We need some AI to help us figure that out. <laughs> exactly. Also, kudos to the research study that's being highlighted in this article. They indicate that this is uh, edition number two of what is planned to be a 100-year longitudinal strategy. That's some serious fortitude from a researcher's perspective. You guys stick to it. Well, no, no, no. Exactly. None of them are going to be working on it in 100 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's all about the funding. That's an eternal funding project. We shall fund for the next 100 years. Yeah, exactly. So, so you know, think as big as you can possibly think. That's all I got to say. Well, cool. on that, let, let's pivot then, because we want to revisit the CISA guidance. Now, we've talked about this a little bit recently. You know, we've talked about the, uh, the new CISA guidance that have come out for risk considerations for MSP's customers. As this stuff has sunk in a little bit more, there's now more meat on these particular bones to go uh, address. What was interesting to me is we one of the premises that we uh, talked about was that customers won't read this, so you should. What amused me was I actually spoke with uh, with an MSP who uh, who was we were talking about something else, and I asked about the CISA recommendations, and he was so excited for them because he was giving it to his own salespeople to ask about competing MSPs because they're doing it all. And so he was very proud to say, like, make sure all the customers know all this stuff. But, Carl, you had another another take on some of these pieces as well, didn't you? Well, so one piece of it is, at the end of the day, a lot of stuff that has to do with, whether it's HIPAA compliance, privacy policies, or whatever, a lot of it amounts to best practices. And there's a handful of these things, like, you should document your backup and you should be transparent with your clients about that. That's one of the core findings here. And I think it's a great example of something that, that that's easy for state agencies and large companies to say, yeah, just do it. And then it becomes a norm and then it becomes part of a checklist. And then that becomes something that's required in the SMB space. Well, important safety tip. You should have been doing this for the last 15 years. Right. Documenting backups is such an obvious thing. And there's there's other pieces uh, like that. And, you know, the, the thing that is hard for us, the one requirement they have in there that's not easy for us to do today is to have transparency about the telemetry of our monitoring and patch management. 
Like, I don't know of any tool that allows that in the SMB space, and I don't, I'm not sure I know of one in the big business space. Well, that's a question of stitching together all of your point in time reports to maintain a not just a snapshot in time, like that one moment at which I looked at my systems for that split second, they were secure. And then the 24 hours before and after, we have no idea, right? What they're asking for is, no, you. if this is a forever problem that you have to be forever monitoring, then you have to be accountable for not looking away from those monitoring responsibilities. I think that that's actually really smart. I think what's very interesting here, and, and I was having this conversation with a client earlier today, actually, um, the transparency about the financial health of the IT provider. Uh, there are a lot of technology professionals who are like, hey, that's none of your business. I'll talk to you about my tools and my backups and my protocols and my processes, but you don't have any right to see my books, except anybody who's ever asking a customer to sign a multi-year agreement by definition you have the responsibility to convince them that you're still going to be here multiple years from now in the future and the only proxy we have for that is the financial health of your organization this is why when carl writes down nine things that indicate the professionalism of an industry the first one not the ninth one the first one is the financial health of the providers. Because if you are not running your business like a business, being good at technology is just a hobby. Like you gotta be good and viable, and then you can get into the operational how-tos. And as Dave is, is fond of saying, you can use a spreadsheet, you can use an RMM, you can do whatever the heck you want. As long as you deliver good service to your customers in a viable way, that's worth a contract. Well, and now, now you not only have to do all those things, you have to come up with a list of other things, like show me that you're actually going to be here tomorrow through financial viability. Like that's, that's uh -huh. an actual thing that I can request as the customer, uh, you know, and, and it is not unreasonable for the customer to want those things. Again, if you've said, oh, I'm not important to sit at the table. Um, you know, I, 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 for me, this is one of those things where like, I mean, it, it's going to have a lot longer legs that take slower to impact than many of these things. You love to say like, oh, the paper released, everything matters. No, that's not how this works. This is, this paper came out and yes, I can point to that date and go, that's an important date, uh, but you won't feel its impact for a while. <laughs> and to me, I love stuff like that. I find things like this interesting because it's very complex. I love to say, you know, I, I don't want a world that's simple. So on one hand, you have some people who are going to say they're going to push this as quickly as possible because they're doing three out of these things. You know, there are three or four of these things really well already. So they're going to pretend like they do everything great already and push it as fast as they can. Then you have the difference between huge businesses, big businesses and small businesses. The five person shop run by an overworked person who just wants to install roofing or, you know, get their job done, you know, do their clients' taxes, they are never going to look at your telemetry or uh, the, the frequency of your reports. You, it doesn't matter. Like, you could have the perfect system and they would be like, yeah, uh, Ryan, could you just look at that for me? Like, they're literally <laughs> going to pay you to look at your stuff, right? So, you know... This document was absolutely written by somebody who has never spent 30 seconds in a small business. 
but that doesn't mean it doesn't affect what we do every single day. And for the people on Facebook and Reddit who say, I don't have to pay attention to it until my clients do, mm, you're what we call a follower, not a leader. Well, and, and by the way, like you're, you are, you're going to have the clients that want that, right? Who want, who want the least. And by the way, last I checked, they pay the worst. <laughs> like, they pay the least, but they ask for the least. Well, right. They pay the worst too. Like, it's, 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 you know, where do you want to play? Like, what space See, do but, you want to play? Those in? people, again, the world is a complicated place. Those people want cybersecurity insurance. They want business interruption insurance. And those insurance companies are going to say, okay, oh, look, I just found a thing that, that uh, the government put out here. Can you uh, make sure that your MSP follows this checklist? Have a nice day. Exactly. See, and that's the thing, right? You, you don't have to pay attention until your customers ask for it is exactly the wrong way to look at this. When your competitors are selling against you because they do these things better than you do, when the regulatory agencies are doing it, when your insurance company is looking at it, uh, your customer may very well be the last one aware and the last one who's willing to pay for these additional professional services. But that does not mean that you wait until they ask. In case you haven't ever tried to implement some of these new, more professional procedure-based approaches to things, that stuff doesn't happen overnight. And if you have a customer who comes to you tomorrow and says, hey, I, I need to make sure you're doing A, B, and C in order for me to take you seriously, it's gonna be three months, six months, 12 months until you have that actually deployed implemented, repeatable, reliable in your business. And for the next three to 12 months, you're going to look like an idiot in front of a customer who flat out to your face said, uh, why weren't you already doing these things? What was I paying for to begin with? If you wait until the customer asks to start getting ready, you're just volunteering for a very long, embarrassing stretch. Well, one of the most impressive vendors I ever hired was a contractor who came to my house and literally had a three inch thick binder of their insurance policies and all of their procedures and how they lay concrete and how they, you know, put in sprinkler systems and pictures of yards and all this letters of recommendation from old, you know, customers and on and on and on. They basically were ready for the next generation of people asking very difficult questions. You could not stump this person on anything. Now, I will say, this is also somebody who ended up not doing a very great job. So, <laughs> What does that teach you? <laughs> you know, you can put forward anything you want, but you're not going to get the door and get the job until you meet whatever requirements are going to be asked for next year and the year after and the year after. See, you this also then have to do the follow-up and do a good job. That's yeah, a it, exactly. It's not just a sales pitch. It's not just the veneer. You actually have to have the substance of this, and that's what takes a long time. I'm reminded of one of my favorite lines from one of my favorite movies, Joe versus the Volcano, where the office manager repeatedly says, I know you can get the job. But can you do the job? He actually says, I know he can get the job, but can he do the job? That is the question that we're arriving at as we mature as an industry. You can tell cool stories. You can have really interesting procedural approaches. But day after day after day, can you actually do a backup and document it and test it and show the telemetry of the monitoring of it? 
Yeah, well, some of that, the tools don't quite exist yet. And some of it is we need to just get into better habits. Plus, I mean, it's getting harder and harder to do this job, to be in this industry. And that's just the way the world works sometimes. All right, topic number three. I, I just have a question. I'm trying to figure out what to call something. I think there's an emerging thing that I don't want to call just crowdsourcing. Crowdsourcing seems too simplistic or the, the hive mind or whatever. Uh, we see things like on TikTok, people who are, are stock market investors are following politicians to see which stocks are going to perform well, right? A, a politician puts a bunch of money into a stock and all these TikTokers go do the same thing and they all get rich. And then you have Reddit investors who say, hey, uh, let's, let's make GameStop a thing again. And for no reason whatsoever, except somebody got them together on, on uh, the internet, GameStop goes up. And now we have these amateur sleuths. Their recent case is uh, about this hiker who was uh, recently found uh, dead and they're trying to figure out whether her boyfriend was involved or her boyfriend's another victim or whatever. But they're using the internet to, to coordinate themselves outside of normal channels. There's something about those three things plus the COVID tracking that we talked about a year ago. What's the name for that? What's the next level internet enabled thing All so right. I don't have to use the word crowdsourcing? I'm going to poke at your premise a little bit because you're assuming the three things are the same and they fit in. And, and I think there's enough subtle differences between them that they are distinct uh, uses of the technology. So for example, TikTok and fo investors following members of Congress and making moves similar to theirs. I look. I actually say that that is using proper market data to apply decision making. Right. That's just a new set of of market data. I can make, uh, but I don't think Reddit investors manipulating stocks and coordinating efforts is the same thing as Those investors two are using. Opposites. They're almost opposites, right? So there's they're different things. And then in particular, amateur sleuths. By the way, I would be remiss if I didn't point out like a lot of that doesn't work, and a lot of them is actually going down right. wrong bits. So like that's another behavior that is in a way like proactive that often has bad results. I'm not sure you're linking three things. They seem similarly related, and I will agree they are using data in new, interesting ways. I'm not sure they're the same thing, and thus we can't give them a singular name. See, I, I would disagree with that. I believe the common thread here is the we're breaking the boundary between a virtual crowd and a real world implication, right? It's not just everybody getting together on Facebook and talking shit about something. We call that social media, right? Um, it's not just it's not just crowdsourcing where you ask many people to think about one idea. It is using very many distributed virtual resources to accomplish a real world thing. And and see why while I think amateur sleuthing is on the same spectrum, on the same continuum towards the Reddit market influence type of stuff. Uh, go out there and do all of these things and see what we can do. I, I think that they are similar in the sense that we are translating very many disconnected virtual resources into a very real world implication. That needs a name and you can use it for good or for evil. Right. And this this is another part of our world. Technology is itself not good or bad. It's a question of how you use it. Can all of that? I don't know 
the right answer. So I'm just doing my own research code for I'm reading a bunch of posts on Facebook. Is that proper? Is that <laughs> is that improving society? No, it's not. Well, but you could use it for good. And I think part of it is, to, you know, to, to your objection, I think if you draw the circle big enough, you'll see, OK, they're all inside some circle. There are people, they're connected by the internet, they have a common cause, they somehow found each other, they would not have found each other without the internet, probably, uh, right? And, and so, but they also have, they have enabled each other in a way that we haven't seen before. And, we, and again, we've seen this with COVID research and other kinds of stuff. We see people using things they find on the internet to, to dig in. I mean, even 10 years ago, people could have a blog where they, they analyzed every picture on the internet to determine, is that a new kind of plane that the Soviets are flying and so forth and so on, and they're all speculating this and that. But now they all get together and they say, okay, I got a piece of data that you don't have, and they build a common cause. I think, I think you can draw that circle a little tighter and say there's something there but I'm not sure what I call it. I think it's a new version it. of data. It's a new version of data analytics. It, it's that the tech has opened up a, a level of data that you have that of unstructured data in particular that you were now able to interpret and leverage. Uh, so it's it is a new form of analytics. It would be the the, the where the space I'm looking for a word would be in. Is See, over. Dave, is the word amateur in there? I mean, it doesn't have to be. I'm just asking. It probably is, right? Because in the same sense of I'm going to co-opt your hard drive to do data mining or do crypto mining in, in a grid aggregated fashion, um, it could be done professionally. But it is most often done by amateurs who are getting together. I think, Dave, you're on to the, the secret sauce here. It is the question of analyzing unstructured data as opposed to structured data because a database and a, and a business intelligence application does very well thank you very much at identifying patterns but it's this vast trove of unstructured data of seemingly unrelated points that have no organization that you can apply a thousand disconnected brains and pieces of technology to and identify either the common cause of that problem or to cause the common outcome that you're trying to accomplish. That's the thing, right? It's, it's unstructured. It's virtual. It's not professionally organized because nobody's technically getting paid for it. So it's volunteer. I, I, I think common cause is getting pretty close there, Carl. So I'll offer up social data, social data analytics for discussion, social data analytics. So the other thing would be that there's also uh, some st things that we can exclude, right? There are kids on TikTok who are saying, hey, you know, go steal something from your school and post a video of it. Okay, so now now you have uh, crowdsourced vandalism. I think that's a different animal. I, 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 I kind of want to exclude that, but then, then I'm making a judgment call about what constitutes good versus evil. So, you know, uh, but I, I would love to have audience input, like, First of all, is this a thing or am I an idiot? You know, that could go either way. Or both. Then, it, <laughs> <laughs> no, they're not mutually exclusive. And then what's what's your proposed name for it? And have we drawn the circle the right size? See, by the way, a, a few observations there, Carl. I, I think that that's the point. It, it's 
our observation is not whether or not it is good or evil. It is the mechanism that we're identifying that could be used for good things or for bad things out there in the world. Inside each of these stories, there are independent ethical considerations, right? Should members of Congress be allowed to own stocks in private businesses? Hell no, that seems like a conflict of interest. Should you be able to use Reddit to artificially enhance the the stock price? Uh, I don't know, buyer beware, right? Like there are ethical questions inside each of these things. That's to be determined. The question here is what's the mechanism you're using and if you could identify it, can you then use it more effectively? That's the real question. And, and it, it is more than just organizing. Organizing is not a new thing. We've organized by having phone trees and using the internet to say, hey, everybody, you know, show up here on the 23rd and we're going to do this. Uh, that's really a different animal because there isn't, you're not creating something that didn't exist before. So there, there is some creative element to this. Well, listeners, if you've got a word, if you've got a word in mind, this is a great opportunity to throw it our way. Find us on social, find us on, drop a note on our website. Whatever the right way of getting in touch, we would love to hear from you on this one. I think we've think we've run out of that one, guys. We've not solved that particular one. Without a segue, this has been episode one thirty one of the. They almost said the cheeky sales coach. I have too many fucking podcasts. <laughs> Keep that, that in. <laughs> All right, that will do it for episode 131 of the Killing It Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Killing It Podcast. Please share with your friends and tell everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and all the podcast places. Join us next week and help us keep killing it in the technology business.